0: Slate Plus members get early access to our Downton Abbey spoiler specials this season immediately following the broadcast on PBS. If you're not a Slate Plus member, try out this early access for the first three Downton spoilers. If you like it, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash spoiler plus. ¶¶ Hello and welcome to a Slate Plus spoiler special on Season 5 of Downton Abbey. We are talking about Episode 3. I'm June Thomas and I am here with uh, Splinty. Oh, Seth Stevenson is his real name. Hello, Shrimpy. Hello, Pookie. No, that's really... Smoopy. Shmoopy. Episode 3, Seth, was a more eventful episode. But before we get to the action, were you as shocked as I was that Cora said the J word...
1: Yes. I mean, we certainly had our suspicions. Believe me, my Jewish mother certainly (laughs) had her suspicions that the Levinsons were Jews and was very eager to talk about that with me at all times whenever the subject of Downton came up. Right. But had that been made official yet by Lord Fellows?
0: No, I don't believe it had. I think that was the first overt acknowledgement that her father
1: was Jewish. And has, for instance, does Lord Crawley know this? (laughs) Do Lady Mary and Lady Edith know this? I mean, this seems like a bit of a bombshell. Doesn't this sort of undercut Lord Crawley's, you know, I am the very model of the unmodern, well, uh, you know, Englishmen?
0: Except remember that he was a buccaneer. And so he, I'm sure, puts up with a lot because she did save his fortune. Well... Which one of
1: them? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's American, which, you exactly. know, maybe who cares? Uh, once once that you've, mean, been, <laughs> you've been raised in the sewers of America, <laughs> it doesn't really matter what religion you are, does it?
0: No, but my goodness, she's really sharing with Mr. What was his name? Mr. Bicker? Mr. Blicker?
1: Mr. Bricker. Mr. Bricker. Mr Yes. You know what this made me realize was that in four and you know, a quarter or whatever seasons of Downtown I Abbey mean, this is sort of the first time we had a peek behind the Cora facade at all. I yeah. mean she often seems as though she is on Xanax. I <laughs> yes. Find. Yes. Is that, am I wrong about that? Yes. Her acting style? She yes. seems almost to be moving within a vat of molasses. Yes. And I don't want to cast aspersions on the actress and say that perhaps she's drunk or something, but it comes, it appears as though almost she is under the influence of of heavy narcotics. And I guess that's the character she's chosen to portray. Right. In any case, we haven't really seen behind the facade and she is rather... Magnanimous, she is rather eager to see the good in others, and she gives second chances to Barrow, and she just gave a second chance to Baxter, as we mm-hmm. can discuss. And she's always trying to temper Lord Crawley's worst impulses. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was very—it uh, was almost poignant to hear her talk about first arriving on the scene in England, feeling mm-hmm. she didn't know any of the niceties that she was meant to know and all the other girls you know understood what was to be done and she didn't so I suddenly you know I felt I had great feeling for Cora in this episode and, and June we are both I think on record as being did I say Lord Cora Lord Grantham right. hate Lord Grantham haters I feel that Mr. Bricker is a better match for Cora
0: oh oh I don't know about that it's true that he brings out the very best in Cora I mean there's no denying that the things she said about the whatever paintings truly were very perceptive She has the eye. She really does. And she is a very intelligent woman. And just the fact that she's chosen to hide it in order to be a good hostess and a good wife and mother and all of that stuff, which would have been considered, you know, a great mitzvah for her to have done. She is truly an intelligent woman. And that was the first glimpse, really, as you said, that I've had of how much she's had to kind of swallow. And I think she was quite right to be upset by Lord G's presumptiveness.
1: I think she's quite right to be upset by Lord G's very just his person. Like, (laughs) what did she see in him? When have we ever seen Lord G earn the love of a good woman? I mean, he's acted like nothing but a petulant little boy basically throughout the history of Downton. We've seen him be nothing but just this sort of ill-mannered, reactionary Just egomaniacal. Yes. And like if his teacup is upset, you know, it's well, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and everyone's out to get him. And he's just he's sort of a terrible person. And I feel like Lady Core should leave him for Mr. Bricker. Oh, but (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's because I like Richard E. Grant. Yes.
0: And I only. Well, not I only. He's obviously a very fine actor and a very interesting person. But my strongest association with him is with the amazing series of short films called Posh Nosh in which he plays the worst husband in the world and so the very idea of anybody making a partnership with him or any character he plays fills me with utter dread and a great deal of amusement.
1: See, in my imaginary pop culture project world, Cora and Mr. Bricker go off and then sort of somehow morph into a Withnell and I style road trip <laughs> through England together, just imbibing copious amounts of drugs and, exactly. and some sort of a hobo-esque existence, the two of them. The very thought. <laughs> so we saw greater depths to Lady Cora, but we also... Mm. Granny has a past.
0: Too. <gasps> Granny has very well done. I mean, again... There is no criticism to be made of Dame Maggie Smith. And when she took over the scene of the hideous Russian aristos crying over the ridiculous relics and sort of took over the whole room and then to be – she was actually upstaged by a handsome man with a very fine beard uh, (laughs) who, uh, you know, quite put her off her game. She couldn't deliver her zinger.
1: Yes, and wasn't it delightful to see – cousin Isabel in the car (laughs) at the end finally giving... The Dowager Countess her come comeuppance, and the smile on the face of Isabel as the car took off, at seeing the flustered Dowager Countess, that sort of was made the entire episode worth it. Uh, Isn't totally she great? You, tell me about the actress who plays Isabel, because that's... Penelope Wilton. Her facial expressions are so wonderful, time yeah. in and time yeah. out. Her smiles, her eyebrow raises, yes. she can convey so much, and she just makes me giggle every time. She, uh, she's she totally magnificent,
0: and and you can tell too that she and Maggie Smith have a long history. They have indeed. Work together over many years, I believe. And you can see that they just have fun together.
1: Well, and you know, so I mentioned my dream imaginary pop culture vehicle number one, which is Cora and Bricker driving across the countryside in like a 1960s vehicle. But my dream project number two would just be a sitcom with the Dowager Countess and Cousin Isabel and Sprat. <laughs> Sprat the, the snitch. Sprat the snitch. Sprat the snobbish butler. Oh, the sh- and he's a
0: Geordie. My God, man. He's a what now? He's a Geordie. He's from the Northeast. And he's got that Geordie accent, you know, well, all the lads and all that. And, I mean, I'm sorry, but he's in no position to take a tone with
1: anyone. Gene, you bring so much specialty knowledge to this podcast. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you here. Tell us more about...
0: I can say no more. (laughs) Okay.
1: Well, I would just love to see the three of them sort of like snipping at each other and Spratt sort of making an entrance every once in a while to bring in the tea and and act as some sort of referee between them. That's another sitcom that I would love to see. But Spratt played an important role. He did. He was not simply a snobbish figure of fun. He also spotted Lady Mary on her scandalous trip to romantic Liverpool (laughs) with the lithe and supple Lord Gillingham. Mm. So first of all, I would like to point out what skills the Dowager Countess has when confronted with the scandalous knowledge that she was not aware of. She just doesn't miss a beat, knows how to zip it up. She has skills.
0: She has mad skills. And she also has a lovely way with a euphemism for, as they used to say in England, Ugandan relations. They were at an informal meeting. <laughs> an informal conference. <laughs> an informal conference of northern landowners.
1: I mean, and she just was ready with that and was so smooth and then turned the tables on Spratt and made him feel suddenly uncomfortable and as though he were the prurient one. Quite Um, right. But you know, the upshot of all this and we saw this from the first meaningful stare every episode has many meaningful stares and and we had Mrs. Patmore's meaningful stare when she opened the letter about her nephew not being allowed on the war memorial but the other meaningful stare was when Lord Gillingham leaves the room, the scene of Mm -hmm. sin leaves the room and there's Mary left to sort of stare into the middle distance and we know at that very moment that Mary is having doubts.
0: She's not thinking about her bacon. She's not.
1: And her breakfast. (laughs) So to speak. It's true. She's not swayed and do we think that it was Mr. Blake who sort of incepted Mary when he put in her mind the thought that Lord Gillingham was not her mental equal. Was that an inception? Did that seed bear fruit or poison fruit even?
0: (laughs) Indeed. The fruit of the poison tree. (laughs) I believe he did but I also think that is giving Mary. is letting her off far too easy. You Mary sympathizers will just allow her to be incepted. I mean, this was a show in part that was about bounders. I mean, we saw that Baxter was under the influence of a bounder. And maybe this Prince Kuragin was also a bit of a bounder. We don't know about that. I'm going to
1: need another vocab check. What is a bounder?
0: You know, a man of bad morals. Okay. Yeah. A rogue. Exactly. And we heard various bits of roguery in this episode but none greater in my view than mary she has led tony gillingham along a merry dance
1: mary gets away with it because she's so lovely and so charming and we forgive her and she you know she's met with some tragedy in her life two men who shared her bed have died uh, tragically but yes i mean when you think about it she's like Oh, Anna, go get me some birth control, even though it's horribly embarrassing to you. Why don't you just go do that so I can go off on this assignation with this man who I've led to believe this is a done deal with. But oh, no, I was just sampling the goods. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy the Lord Gillingham cow.
0: But I am going to drink a couple of pints of milk
1: before I send it away. Yeah, oh, oh, and she did drink those <laughs> pints of milk. And when is the Mary Backlash going to begin?
0: It happened to me in about season one and a half. So you I don't saw know. right through her, didn't saw you? saw right through those eyebrows. <laughs>
1: Those those wispy, pale arms. (laughs) She
0: is so skinny, too. All these people need to eat. Cora and Mary need to go and have a slap-up meal in Liverpool. Eat some scouse. That's what they need.
1: Well, they're just going to be fattened up for the revolution, Jim. They must be fearing that. Here are all these Russian aristos arriving. Do you think that LG and Lady Cora looked at them and said, there but for the grace of Trotsky go I? Because this could be them. I mean, they could be the Mm -hmm. ones... Exiled to some faraway land, looking at, you know, mementos of their past aristocratic life.
0: Well, we also saw Tom Branson having really a deep connection with that feeling of exile because he, in a way, is in exile, or he really literally is in exile from his homeland of Ireland. And he is considering, we saw quite clearly and quite seriously emigrating to Ireland. And that is kind of the equivalent of those aristos, you know, as pathetic as they are, rather, you know, being pulled away from things they hold dearly, because the battle over young Sybil is surely going to be very, very bitter and acrimonious and, and sad.
1: There's also going to be, we've seen, developing the battle over Marigold. Yes. I don't know how that's going to go down, and I feel like Edith should just... Again, why can't we just talk about things? Right. Why can't we just tell Mrs. Drews that, oh, by the way, that's Edith's daughter. And how dare you You know, keep them apart because mm-hmm. they should be together. But we can't talk about right, it. Right, right, right. We can't talk about the fact that Mary is going to go off and sample the goods because she wants to know if the man she's going to marry is the man she wants to spend a lot of sack time with. But, June, I had this thought. Yeah. Are there things we're not talking about now that when the Downton Abbey of, you know, 90 years hence is made, that they'll say, why couldn't they just discuss that in the open, that it was holding them back? It was a wall between them. Why couldn't they have just communicated about that? And all the problems would have been instantly solved.
0: Yeah, well, the thing that comes to mind is money, which is something that I'm not sure how, how money came up in those days. I mean, it's the whole relationship between Cora and Robert started as a financial arrangement. And so maybe they're quite open about money and just can't talk about the truth of situations, and we don't talk about money. So maybe that's, yeah, that's you're right. coming to a reverse.
1: It's interesting because there was a reference to Mrs. Bennett in the previous episode. Right, right. And I was thinking about how Pride and Prejudice, they you know they very openly say, oh, he has 40000 a year, yeah, and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And yeah. they're yeah. very naked about the fact right. that, oh, we are marrying because this man is rich, and that is why. And now we sort of, well, perhaps this is more an American thing, or I don't know, or maybe not, but we sort of sweep it under the rug, where less we try to not talk about those things we have this pretense that oh no of course we are joining hands entirely out of love and practical concerns have nothing to do with it nothing to do with it because that would be gauche right yes that's interesting well we'll find out we'll have to wait 80 years
0: indeed we will you know the thing that I'm most curious about is what is Thomas up to what was the thing he got the phone call about or he made the phone call about choose
1: your own path choose your own path
0: I didn't recognize that perhaps it's
1: a metaphor (laughs) is this some sort of employment placing thing do you think? I'm trying to think what Thomas could bring to the table in terms right. of like where would he what sort of career would he transition into and why would it involve a phone call?
0: Right. He was responding to an ad right in a magazine but I very much doubt that it could be about his proclivities or Oh or his love life. I mean I don't Imagine, I mean, I suppose it could be... Some sort of code word. Yeah, I mean, like some trying to, like what we would now refer to as ex-gay therapy, when I'm making air quotes... Uh, right there. I mean, well, it that could was, be something like that. That was
1: raised because in his coignant conversation with Jimmy, when Jimmy departed, and mm-hmm. Jimmy, who was very kind to Thomas in a way, and mm-hmm. said, I hope you find happiness. And Thomas was sort of having to face the idea that maybe he could never find happiness due to the mm-hmm. to times he lived in. So maybe it is something to do with that. Perhaps he is seeking a, quote, unquote, cure. Maybe right. that's what's going on. Right. Or, But you know, given what we know about Downton, mm-hmm. if I had to place my bet there's some sort of scam that yes. he's going to fall for. Like it's some sort of Nigerian prince scam right. of 1924 where he's making a phone call that right. by some ad intrigued him and he's, like he's going to have the wool blown over his eyes and he's somehow going to put the entire households in jeopardy.
0: Well, I was going to say, but Seth, he's already done that. But as we know, in <laughs> the Downton more. universe, that means it's more likely... Again it will happen and again, again
1: and again. Oh, Isis is lost. It's my fault. Oh, but now, in fact, I'm going to be, you know, promoted because Isis is found. Oh, and I helped Jimmy, you know, sleep with Lady Duckface. But now I saved Edith in the fire. And so now, even though I've done all these horrible things to everyone, I'm going to be, you know, once again, I'm in the good graces of Lady Cora. Quite. What are we looking forward to next week, June? And let me remind you, yes. sympathy butters no parsnips.
0: <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> Could you come and carry this spotted dick,
1: sir? (laughs) No more Downton flirting. I'm at a loss. You know, although I will say my Wikipedia... Eleanor Glynn? Yes. So I felt that my vintage burn of the week was sympathy butters no parsnips, Uh. which, again, I will be incorporating into all my conversations.
0: That one, actually, I've heard uh, in the... In the current parlance.
1: Really? Well, you, yeah. you You clearly hang out in much hipper circles <laughs> than me. But yes, my Wikipedia of the week was Eleanor Glynn, yeah. who was mentioned when Branson wants to elide the conversation about sex with Mary, he says the things that Eleanor Glynn writes about. Right. And I had to Wikipedia that. And yeah. Eleanor Glynn actually created the concept of It meaning the sense of you have the it, you are attractive to everyone. People want to be with you or be you. You right, have right. it. She invented that concept. And she wrote these romantic novels, which I gather by today's standards are very, very tame. But by the standards of 1924, were rather risque. Scandalous.
0: I saw she was from the Channel Islands, and I thought, oh, well, say no more. Seth, for me, I will be holding on to the next episode with the image of the Dowager Countess in that car because at the end after she caught her glimpse of Prince Iliakuriakin or whatever he was called. She looks like one of those Balinese puppets that's, yes. that's
1: on sort of She has a, of a palsy sticks. of sorts or something. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> she actually does. But she, she works it oh. so well. But I, well, it's just a kind of a, a Catherine Hepburn kind of thing, right? Okay. You know, she
1: looks good. She looks great. She's fantastic. She, she owns it. But yeah. yeah, she was rattled. She was. was fantastic. Like, I would like to see more of her being rattled. I yeah. like, she's always so composed and she's always trying to rattle everyone else exactly. And at last she was rattled. Well, we'll look Forward to more of that. So until next week, Shrimpy.
0: (laughs) Until next week, Hoppy.